Ronananian. Is your mechanic shortchanging you? Want to find out? Put him on the spot and uh, see if he's got the correct amount of fluids in the vehicle. Because if they can't get the correct amount of fluids, then maybe they can't do a lot of things correctly. Maybe we can do it. Take the time. Do it right. We can do it, baby. Do it tonight. Take your time. The Car Doctor. Is there supposed to be oil on a dipstick? Show of hands. Is there supposed to be oil on a dipstick? Thumbs up. Yes, right. Yeah. At least these two guys know. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines and come on in. Ron and Andy and the car doctor, and hopefully your engines do start. And that's what we can talk about for the next two hours at 855-560-9900 in case they don't, because that's what this radio show is all about, why it starts, what if it doesn't start, and what to do what to do, and when it goes into the garage. That's really uh, what this car doctor show has been all about for the past 26-plus years. My name's Ron and Andy, and a.k.a. the car doctor at 855-560-9900. Whoops, I already told you that, but you should know that by now. Maybe you're new. And we welcome you aboard, and thanks for sticking around for the next two hours. The website here is, yes, sir? What's your name again? Uh, well, it depends. It depends if I get to push all those buttons in front of you. Don't they say that the uh, first thing that goes is uh, memory, Tony? Yes, yes, it does. Uh, well, I, I kind of remember that. Um, what was my name again? Ron and Anian. Yeah, Ron and Anian. So anyway, um, we are here to talk about your car and its problem. I guess I'm a little out of sorts today, maybe kind of, sort of. I've come to the conclusion, let's just jump right into it, all right? I've come to the conclusion that car companies really deserve a big pat on the back because I really think, and I learned this this week, I learned something this week, they they really do an outstanding job in inventorying and taking care of parts. And I never really had as big an appreciation for them as for what I went through this week. Yesterday... At the shop, it was it was a heck of a Friday. You know, we do this show live Saturday afternoons, two to four p.m. In case you don't know, and you can call that eight five five number five six zero nine nine zero zero. By the way, Saturdays two to four p.m. Eastern time, and we're here. But maybe you're a podcaster, maybe you're taking it on a stream or a delayed broadcast or something. And I get that, but I, I, I always work in real time in my head in this sense. So it was Friday morning yesterday, and there was a computer meltdown in the shop. Oops, never a good thing, right? And you're just trying to get through Friday, and one of the CPU fans on the counter computer died. You know, you could hear it starting to bind up and fail. Hey, how hard could this be? I switched over. I had a backup computer on the counter also. I switched over to that one. I took the counter machine apart at coffee break, blew out all the dust and all the things that had accumulated, and saw it was a bad fan assembly. Hey, I need a fan assembly. It's only a two-year-old computer, power spec out of Micro Center. I said... And, you know, and the reason we went in and bought seven computers at one time was because, well, you know, we were always going to have parts. They're easy to get things for. They're, they're common, basic, everyday stuff. It's, and I'm thinking, yeah, it'd be like buying car parts. How hard could this be? So yesterday after work, I ran down to Micro Center and uh, showed them the CPU fan cooler. Or I'm sorry, the CPU fan and the heat sink, the cooler assembly, the 
I took a picture of the serial number. I took a picture of the socket. I took a picture of the motherboard. I had the model number of the computer. I had everything you could I'm thinking about this like a mechanic. I want to repair this. I need, I need, I need VIN. I need model number. I need you know, a way to identify what it is. And here's the old part. I need one of these. I went to the knowledge bar or the not-so-knowledge bar, depending upon your perspective on how you walk away from the place. I don't know what they're drinking at the knowledge bar, but it's not knowledge. So they, they looked it up, and they said, well, it could be one of these four possibilities. Now you have to go to the back of the building and go to the build-it-yourself department, which is really should be called the do-it-yourself department, and they'll help you find what you need. Okay, great. I take it back there. Now, you know the difference between horizontal and vertical? Horizontal is like the horizon. Vertical is upright. I had a horizontal fan. They sold me two vertical fans. Well, you know, these will work because we don't have this model fan. This is so old, we don't keep this anymore. And I'm, I, I know. I'm wrong. I said, what do you mean you don't keep this anymore? How old? It's only two years old. A 2017 automobile, a 2015 car is old, I guess. Well, I always say that, and I guess it's coming back to haunt me now, right? So we don't have parts for a two-year-old computer. So I take the vertical home. I trust the kid. He knows what he's doing. Kids all know everything today. They're smarter than me when it comes to technology, maybe, sort of, kind of. And I came home. I had supper, and I looked at Susie, and I said, you know, I'm going to go back to the shop. I'm going to put this fan in so that Monday morning we can open up and we're good to go. We're, we're, we're charged. I go back, got there, oh, it's quarter to 10. You know, we had coffee, a little Danish, and left the house and went back to the shop. Oh, somewhere about 12, 12, 12 o'clock, 10 after 12, I came to the realization that what they had sold me didn't have a clue or a chance of being assembled and installed into the computer case. Went back there this morning, returned the stuff that didn't work, and I asked one more time, do you have this? Nope, we don't keep that. Okay. You'll have to go back to the do it your, build-it-yourself department. See, I keep saying that, the do-it-yourself department, the build-it-yourself department, and they'll help you find something. Well, I knew how that worked out last night, so I said to myself, let me go do this on my own. Let me be the mechanic. So I sat there and I thought about it, and I said, I've got a two-year-old computer with an outdated, according to them, CPU cooling fan. If this was a car and the parts were in stock, where would they be? Sure enough, I went to the top shelf in the back corner where the cooling fans are kept, and I found a pile of 10 of the cooling fan units that I needed. And I looked at it, and I went, wow, look at that, right down to the part number, say model cooler master, DPE6s, and they were five bucks a piece. I bought four of them. I need one. Now I've got spares. Now I guarantee that the other seven machines I have will never go bad because I have spare parts. And what I learned from that was, by the way, the other cooling fans were $35 a piece, so maybe the margin, the markup must be greater on the $35 ones. Maybe that's why they're selling them. And what I learned from that, and all kidding around aside, is think about a car. Think about the complexity of a car all the parts and all the pieces that go into that car, everything, the nuts, the bolts, the interior, the trim, the electronics that go into a car. I never really appreciated it until this moment. I always thought it was a daunting task. Now I think it's an overwhelming task. Now I give them credit, the fact that they can keep a 10-year-old car on the road and still have the electronics around for it. But what it also got me to think about was, wow, what are we going to do in 10 years when we run out of electronic parts? 
or all the cars that we're driving today that we're all in love with, that we all think are so great, that are wonderful, where are they going to go? Yes, Tom. In 10 years? I deal with broadcast transmitters all the time. There's some broadcast transmitters that aren't even five years old. I can't get parts yet. Or I pick up the phone and call and say, I need to do a module swap for this. And they go, well, the connector, you can't do that because the connector has been uh, discontinued. Uh, you, have to, you have to send the module in for repair. And, and the part that gets me is, you know, I'm looking at the cooling fans, going back to the computers for a minute. It was a 95-millimeter round fan. There's a 95-millimeter, there's a 92-millimeter, there's an 88-millimeter, there's an 80-millimeter, there's a 120-millimeter. You know what? Small, medium, and large. It worked at McDonald's for how many years? And look look at how many billions have sold. How many burgers have you seen McDonald's sell? There's 120 uh, cubic feet per minute, 150 cubic feet right. per minute, 100 cubic feet per minute, 90 cubic feet per minute. Which one do you use? I, you know, <laughs> is it really that critical? Uh, you know, in a non-gaming, non-military, non-technical environment? Actually, yeah, because there's a lot going on behind the scenes in Windows. Well, but still, there's got to be a better way to do this. And if it's that critical, how about here's the standard and let's maintain, you've got to keep these. You know, and I don't, I, I get confused myself, but look at look at the charger port on your phone. There's a mini USB, a micro USB and then there's the port shape that the apples have, and there's all these different ends to charger cords. Let's pick something and make it work. Right. Let's just have one thing. Do we need this? What You know what? Well, I know why they do it, because every time you trade in your phone, you have to go out and buy another charging cable. You have to, and, but the problem is, look at the space in the landfill. I mean, we're way off the subject of cars here, but bring it back to cars. Look at how we're filling up the environment with parts from cars, because... They're no good anymore. So what do the manufacturers do? Do they are they are they overproducing parts for cars for eight to ten years and then when they're done, they're scrapped? So they, they manufacture them, they warehouse them, they scrap them, and then they start all over again? Isn't that a wasted effort? Bottom line, you gotta give it to the car companies. As long as they're keeping cars on the road, the fact that we've created this pile of technological chips in automobiles, computers, and everything else, and we're able to keep things going as long as we can, not so much the computer industry. I think two years for a CPU cooling fan to be a problem is a little ridiculous. Yeah, and I found it, so I'm not, but I was just, of course, you know, I'm still amazed at Micro Center. I don't understand. Their answer was, well, it's a B719. We haven't made that model for eight months. Okay, well, why don't you store the specs? Well, where would we store them? Oh, I don't know. How about a hard drive? You know, how about we put it up in the cloud? How about we, how hard is this to, to deal with that you can't look up parts for a computer that you give it to the car companies, folks. And, um, you know, we're going to give them a round this time. We're going to say that, hey, they won the day because look at what they do. So when you go into the dealership or the parts house the next time and they say they can't get parts for your car, how old is your car? If your car is, you know, seven, eight years old, that was a pretty good run. Um, that really was. Now, some car companies, like Chrysler, that's another story. Three years old and you can't get you can't get fenders. I hear stories about late model Chryslers having to take fenders off the same body style on the assembly line and uh, transfer them out to the dealership group in order to sell them because they can't get replacement parts, and that's a whole other conversation. So anyway, 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Ananian, the car doctor. I'm Ron Ananian, the car doctor. That makes Tony happy when I say that feels like he's working with somebody important. And um, I'll be back right after this.
Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get over to Ron Tilton, Tintin, Tintin Falls, New Jersey, 014 Taurus. Ron, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, got a little problem. Basically, what it amounted to is the car had been sitting around for two or three weeks, and it was a cold day, and I tried to start it, and uh, basically just hear the uh, uh, the starter chatter, essentially, and wouldn't turn over. So put the battery charger on it, charge it back up. And now I get in the car and turn the ignition uh, to start it, essentially, and all the lights in the dashboard go dark, essentially. Now, I called you about five years ago on this same car with that problem with the PATH system, and uh, you sent me, you had me go to the dealer, essentially, to have it scanned. And what they, they didn't see any of the doors, essentially, at that point in time, and they replaced what's called a chime switch, the back ignition switch. Okay. And uh, worked fine for five years. So after I charged the battery up, got in there, wouldn't start. So I, one of the tricks to get it to the dealer was to play with the, um, uh, the key, essentially. And I basically got it where the engine turned over. It was turning over fine, but it wouldn't, wouldn't start, wouldn't fire. And uh, so when I had my daughter start it and check the battery voltage, and it was 11.5 volts, essentially, when it was cranking, and it was cranking fine. So I uh, and then obviously tried it again. It wouldn't. It basically went dead. So I lifted the battery terminal off. I had cleaned the terminals when I charged it, and uh, basically put it back together again. And I, it wouldn't start. It cranked, but it wouldn't start. I said, "Let me see if I can hear the fuel pump running." So I opened the trunk. Had my daughter turn the key just to on. And you didn't hear the fuel pump pressurize. But she played with the key a couple more times. All of a sudden, the fuel pump pressurizes. Car starts and it runs fine. Well, Do I have a problem with the immobilizer? No, immobilizer on this car will keep it from starting. It'll keep it from cranking. Just, just, um, nothing with the fuel pump. Right, nothing with the fuel pump. A, 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 a PAT system issue will put the car into a no-crank dash light only condition. Mm-hmm. All right, so this sounds like you've got a fault either in or at the ignition switch mm-hmm. and, and or, and you've already checked this, you know, dirty battery cables, connections, Something that changed during the course of those three weeks of the car sitting, if it was fine prior to you, you know, yeah, parking yeah, it. Yeah, it seemed, seemed to run fine. Right. And with the, the the change of the chime switch five years ago, it was fine ever since then. Right. And, you know, and, and it's okay to think about that, but I wouldn't want to put too much stock in it unless you can reproduce and duplicate the condition and then go through some tests. Mm-hmm. So at this point, yeah, you know, you, you while well, you had the battery terminals off, if you had the battery terminals off since you... I uh, had the problem. You've erased any fault codes in it, so. Uh, oh, know. I did. I did check that before, and there was not nothing. Well, did you check using an OBD2 scanner, or did you check using manufacturer specific? And look. Uh, at, it was just a g- generic OBD. Right, generic OBD2 is only going to look at emissions. Right. Yes. That's All right. Correct, yeah. So you know you want to really go at something like this. Here's a case for the argument and the cause of. Whenever a car comes in, we do a system scan where we'll look at every module in the vehicle and record and pull out as much information as we possibly can. If it's if it's starting now, you may not see it again. It might have been a contact that was oxidized. It might have been a connector that had mm-hmm. poor connection. I mean, there's there's 12 different possibilities. You know, trying to backtrack and, and duplicate, it's going to be tough. You know, it could have been a combination of things. It could have been a combination of dirty battery terminals. And a fuel pump that was stuck in a dead spot on the armature on the uh, 16-year-old, 17-year-old car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anything's possible. Yeah. You, you know, the only thing I could tell you, the best bet I can tell you is just make sure it's a good battery. Make sure the ca- connections at the cables are good. Right. Make sure the ground at the 
battery end of the uh, transaxle is good, and also up on the firewall where the cable splits and comes off and goes for the body ground. Mm-hmm. You know, and if that's the case, drive it and um, you know just yes, just, and just be the, prepared. The conditions in right now, basically, it uh, the fuel pump won't fire essentially. Well, are you saying right now it's a, it's back to a no start condition? Well, basically, it, it, it it'll turn over. But the uh, it won't it won't run because the, there's no the fuel pump's not uh, pressurized. You just said didn't you just say your daughter got the fuel pump to pressurize? Yeah, yeah. Basically one one or two tries, then we basically pulled the key out, put it back in again, and it wouldn't. Uh, basically, I'd be able to turn it over, but it wouldn't. Um, okay, uh, so be, so right now it's in a no start condition where it will crank, but it won't pressurize the fuel pump. That's exactly right. Okay, so now you want to go over to the easiest place for you would be the fuel pump inertia switch, which would be, it's either in the right kick panel in the passenger compartment or it's back in the trunk on the left side. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have two wires going in. If memory serves me right, there's going to be a red-pink. Um, yeah, I believe it's a, it's a, it's a pink-black, pink with a black trace, pink with a white trace, and a green coming out the other side. One's going to be feed from the box. The other is going to be feed down to the pump. You have to have hot there on, from the uh, relay and from the fuse circuit feeding it down to the pump. If you don't, then you've got to back trace up to the fuel pump relay. And if you can locate the fuel pump relay, which should be in the battery junction box under the hood, you will see, uh, if, you look, if you look at the schematic, usually the fuel pump relay and the PCM power relay are identical. All right? Now, I'm not going to tell you to swap those simply because if the PCM, and I didn't ask that question, when you crank it, do you, when you turn the key to the on position, do you get a check engine light? Yeah, yeah, basically the, the, so, all the lights on the dashboard okay, light up just so like the, it was so the, so the PCM's awake. If you want to backtrace it to the uh, fuel pump relay, I'm sure it's probably going to be a wiper relay or a fog light relay. It'll be the same one. Match the part number, swap it with the fuel pump relay, see if that gets it to start and put power back to the pump. If it doesn't, you've got to find out why that relay is not being grounded and work your way out from there. Ron, I wish you luck. If you need more, you know where to find me, 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Ron and Indian, the car doctor, taking the morning train here at 855-560-9900. Let's get back to the busy phones and talk to Eric in Homer, Louisiana, 08 Nissan Sentra. Eric, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thanks, Ron. Um, I have two quick questions. Um, sure. If I, if I use a uh, Wix premium filter and um, uh, the... Um, um, <laughs> Take a breath. Synthetic the, synthetic oil? Yeah, the, uh, the your favorite oil. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, Pennzoil. Um, Pennzoil. Right, okay. Pennzoil synthetic. If, we, if I use that with the Wix filter, um, and I don't want to wait till five or 6,000 miles to do the oil change, and I don't want to waste a lot of money, when is the soonest should I change the oil? So let me ask you a question. What are you using now, and how often are you changing oil? Well, I was using Pennzoil, but not synthetic, and I was changing it every 3,000. Okay. But so you, now I'm using Mix Premium Filter and the Pennzoil Synthetic. You know, a lot of this depends on your driving style, Eric. You know, are you, are you a short trip? Are you around town? Are you on the highway? Are you commuting? 
you know, a lot of it depends on driving style. But, you know, Round Pennzoil Synthetic and a good Wix filter, I'm going to tell you 6,000 miles is a good interval, and I don't think you're wasting anything. If you wanted to stretch it to seven, okay. I think beyond that, I don't see the need, number one. And number two, this is a nine-year-old vehicle. And here's the dis and here's the disadvantage with with extended range oil changes. All right, you know you start getting beyond six seven thousand miles, unless you tell me that hey Ron, once a month I'm going to get under the hood and check fluid levels and look at belts and hoses and look at all the other things that I need to look at on an eight nine year old vehicle. I think you're setting yourself up for failure at some point. You know cars are cars are, cars are like people. The older they get, the more care they need to a degree in order to keep going. And it's to your, uh, it's to your advantage. I think you misunderstand my question. Go ahead. I don't, I don't want to go that long, so I want to, I want to change oil sooner, but I don't want to change it really, really soon. So should I change it at four or five thousand miles? Oh, okay, um, five thousand miles. I, I so think five would I, be a good. Yeah, I think four. I think four is a bit overkill. All right. Okay. You know, the, the the rule of thumb is listen. The rule of thumb is um, I've got synthetic. I've got the, I've got this. I'm running the same setup in the Ranger. All right, the little shop truck with two hundred ten thousand on it. I, I I shoot for every four. Sometimes I make it by five. If I go to six, I don't worry about it because I know I've got quality in there, in 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 oil in the filter, and I don't have to sweat it. All right, you know. But I do get under the hood of the Ranger on a regular basis just to see what's going on and, you know, fluids and filters and just looking at things and making sure that now 20-year-old vehicle with 210,000 miles on it has got everything it needs to keep going. So, you know, yeah, not that I misunderstood it. I'm just trying to also give you a balance here. Uh, 5,000 is fine. 6,000 is fine. To go beyond that, I'm just not a fan of it. All right? I, I, you know, but again, a lot of it depends on your driving style. But from what you're telling me, 5,000 miles, which will come out to be every, and we should talk about time, every, how fast are you going to do 5,000 miles, Eric? Four months, five months? Three months. Okay. Yeah, then three months, 5,000 miles. You're going to do 5,000 miles in three months. You're doing a lot of driving, brother. So, you know what? I'd put you on a, I'd put you on a 90 to 120-day schedule at the shop time-wise, and I'd put you on a 4,500, 5,000-mile interval, and you'll be just fine. Absolutely. Okay. And, and you're using Thank you, and, and you're using Pennzoil synthetic. You said, yeah, Pennzoil yeah. synthetic and premium wick filter. Yep, yeah, you'll be fine. All right, you'll be absolutely fine. All right, sir. The other question I had was, um, and I don't have the paperwork in front of me, but uh, I got it diagnosed that uh, I needed to replace the right side catalytic converters. P zero four thirty or P zero four twenty. It's, that sounds like it, but I don't have the paperwork in front of me. Okay. So I got the I got the catalytic converters changed. Three days later, the check engine light came on again, and the same codes popped up. Okay. So I went I went back over there. He cleared the codes and he told me get back with him if they pop up again. And sure enough, I got the check engine light on again. What should he be looking for? Okay. So let me ask the hard question: whose whose catalytic converters did he use? I'm not sure. Aftermarket, I'm sure, right? Uh, probably so. Okay. So l let me tell you. Let me tell you why a vehicle sets a, a catalytic converter efficiency code. All right. 
there are there are two sensors involved in this. Let's you know bank per bank. So bank one, you've got an oxygen sensor. In simplest terms, you've got an oxygen sensor in front of the cat. You've got an oxygen sensor after the cat. The oxygen sensor in front of the cat is going to produce a mixed signal. It's reacting to oxygen content as dictated by where fuel trim is on the engine. So if the engine's running lean, less fuel, it's going to see a higher oxygen concentrate. If it's running rich, uh, more fuel, it's going to see a lower oxygen concentrate. And the O2 sensor is going to show that, high voltage, low voltage. A catalytic converter is designed by what it's supposed to do. It will store oxygen up to a certain level. So while the front sensor is bouncing all over the place, the sensor after the cat is going to be at a steady, fixed voltage, generally high. is considered good. And then at the right time, when it wants to, when the catalytic converter goes into its process and the computer knows this, it will see a change of state in the rear sensor. And it's, it's looking at the difference between the two. If your mechanic goes in and looks at what its O sensors the O2 sensors are doing, it's called an oxygen storage capacity, or OSC, oxygen storage capacity test. And if he sees both sensors roughly the same, or if he sees activity on the rear sensor along with the front sensor, maybe not at the same level, what that tells me is either the new cat is bad, because new doesn't mean good, or it tells me that the uh, there's there's a bigger problem here. There's something else going on now. A catalytic converter code can also be caused by engine temperature, a thermostat problem. It can also be caused by other fuel trim issues. It's not always a cat. Nowhere in that flow chart does it say P0420 change catalytic converter. It'll say P0420 or P0430 diagnose as per manufacturer. And sometimes that's, you know, it takes a little bit of work. Everybody throws cats at them because nobody wants to diagnose it. But you can do an oxygen storage capacity test. There are several tests to determine. Is it CAT? Is it sensor? Is it engine-related? That being said, here's my argument against aftermarket CATs in a lot of vehicles, and I know the price is attractive. What did you pay for the repair, Eric? Do you remember? I'm sure you do. $1,000. Okay, for both CATs, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, yes, I would venture to guess... Those cats out of Nissan are probably a thousand apiece. Uh, you're pretty close. Yeah. Okay. And and yeah. and and the reason and here's my argument. All right. I always think of a shoebox. I always think of women's shoes and men's shoes. Right. The women's shoes, the shoebox is a little smaller. The men's shoebox, the shoebox is a little bigger. Right. The men's shoebox is the OE cat. The women's shoebox is the aftermarket cat. All right. Typically, it's a third smaller. How much longer? You know, how's that going to last? And I get it. It's a nine-year-old vehicle. How long do we want it to last? But the problem is, depending upon what brand of cat it was, does it even have the ability to meet minimum specification? And on an older vehicle, how many miles are on this? 108,000. Okay. Not a lot. Uh, that's really not a lot for the age of this truck. But at you know just breaking, just breaking in, baby. All right, this thing will go two hundred thousand. You know, it's, I can tell you what's going to go wrong with this thing. It's going to need timing chains at a buck forty if it doesn't need them already. It's going to go through a trans and maybe a lower radiator cooler at some point, and catalytic converters. Other than that, the truck will run forever. Parts will fall off it because of rust, but the truck will run forever. Um, 
you know, but my argument is aftermarket cats versus OE, I just don't see the capacity, and sometimes I don't think they're up to doing the job. Have your mechanic go back, run some more of those tests. If you've got any more questions, give me a call back. We'll go from there. All right, sir? Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Eric. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. Let's roll it along here. We're getting backed up. Let's go talk to Nick in Texas, 96 Jeep Cherokee, and some problems with with the way it's running on injectors. Nick, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, well, I've checked uh, all the injectors, and I've checked all the uh, wiring and stuff, you know, and I, uh, what I've got is uh, five and six on the injector wires. They'll You turn the key on, and you get a little power coming out. But uh, with uh, uh, the tester, uh, uh, whatever it's called, the ohm t- not the ohm tester. I've ohmed it too, and I'll get power all the way over to my. All right. Well, here, let me, let me Nick. Let's start here. What's actually yes, What's actually wrong with the vehicle? What's it doing? That's that's uh, generating the, this phone call. Well, the uh, five and six injector wires are not uh, pulsating. Okay, so you've got no so you've got no signal on the two injector wires, which on that car is on five it's gray and on six it's the um uh brown. It's six brown. it's the brown, right. Yeah. Um so in other words, you've got power on the orange on each injector, but you've yes, got sir. no pulse. You're using a little noid light and you get no blink blink. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So and obviously you've got two dead holes now, right? So it's running on right. four cylinders. This is a four O, I assume. Obviously it's a six cylinder engine. So yes, this, sir. this is a four liter. So, yes, you know, did this happen overnight? Did this just, you know, it oh, came no, on sir. gradually? I've just, or? I just now got it to that. Uh, whenever I got it, uh, uh, it had a, a uh, short on uh, the uh, ignition wires coming out of the ignition going through the, by the frame or by the steering column. Okay. They were they were shorting out right there. So I changed uh, the ignition out. I changed the 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 computer out i've changed the uh 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 crank sensors the the uh um okay. neutral safety switch the uh let's let's <laughs> let's, I, let's let's i got i got the power going because they couldn't even get a spark on it whenever i got it from these other people right and and uh uh then uh uh so i figured out what was stopping a spark but now the injectors won't uh, fire off. All right, so let me ask you this, Nick. Um, just let's just cover the basics. Have you ohmed all the injectors to be sure that they're all roughly the same? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, sir. I, I've changed them out from one to the other and stuff like that, and, and uh, the, only the four work. The first four work. Okay. The, the last six, uh, the last two won't. All right. Won't, won't work. So just just humor me, so I make a diagnostician out of you. Uh, just, just, just ohm all the injectors, if you would. Just, I just, yeah. I just want to hear a number. I want to, you know, six point eight ohms, eighteen ohms, whatever it is. All right. And I don't think it's going to solve this car. And I'm not looking to, but I'm just trying to get you in the habit of doing something. Because once you start to do it, you know, if I teach you how to diagnose this one, you'll diagnose every one the same, and you'll end up with a good running vehicle. So right. just, just ohm it for the sake of ohming it. That's number one. Number two. You know, if you've got power on the orange, but you've got no signal on the gray or the brown, then, uh-huh. you know, my next step is, can we can we ohm going back from the, you know, the gray on number five? If we, if we ohm that wire back to the PCM, do we have continuity? Yes, we do. Well, if, if you... And that's what I was wondering. That's what a mechanic asked me, too. He says, you might get a power surge right there. 
and, uh, you know, a power on when you turn the key on, <coughs> but you won't get the pulse because it might have a slight break in the wire, and uh, you get a good ohms reading, and then uh, uh, it might be not enough connection right there to uh, well, uh, send the pulse. Listen, I think I think this is simpler than that. I think you've got continuity on the brown, you've got continuity on the gray, and as long as you're on the right wires... If nothing's shorted to each other, and you should re, you should you should ohm across them to see could you have a possible shorted harness because you're you're describing a oh, harness yes. issue with this. Whole, yeah, I pulled the whole harness loose. All the wires are loose, right. and I checked all that. Because you're kind of down to the point where if you've got continuity in the harness and nothing's rubbing or touching, yeah, that PCM you put in is no good. That's the only logical. Oh, okay. thing, that's the only logical thing left. You know, is, oh, okay. is, is the driver shorted? And, right. you know, that's, um, I'll tell you what, just stay on the line one quick second. And, um, Nick, let me just go pull over and take this pause. When we come back, I'll finish up with you. 855-560-9900. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Nick, Texas, you're still there, sir, correct? Yes, sir. Here's what I want you to do, all right? Listen to me. I want cool. you to unplug number five injector. Okay. All right? You're going to have hot on the orange. And you're going to have nothing on that gray, correct? Great, right. All right. That's so negative. think about that gray wire. All right. Okay. I, I want you to insert. I want you to get a headlight. I want to do a loaded. I want to do a loaded circuit test. All right. Okay. I want you to get a headlight. Put the hot leg of the headlight into the gray wire. Put the other okay. leg of the headlight to ground. Okay. I want you to find that wire that you believe is correct. That gray wire at the PCM. Okay. Disconnect it. All right. Put 12 volts on that wire. Use it. Use it. Use a fused source. Okay. Right. So if there's right. a short. We're going to blow the fuse and not fry something. All right. Okay. If that circuit's good, the headlight's got a light. Correct. Right. If the headlight, if that circuit can handle the load of the headlight, what's left? Yeah. The driver yeah. and the PCM. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. And I want you to do the same thing to number six. Yeah. To the gray. Right. All right. No, okay. to the uh, number six is yeah to the brown. Number six is the brown, right? Yeah. Yeah. Number six is the brown. Right. Number five is the gray. Yeah. My my you know my mind tells me bad PCM, but you know I'm not there seeing the vehicle, and I've got and this I, picture in my head of a vehicle. I was that's... thinking before I uh, unwrapped all the 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 wire the the uh, the uh, whatever it's called the all the wire on the underneath the dash. I mean underneath the. Uh, uh, hood right there and, and traced all those wires back and made sure there wasn't any shorts. There was one short on the air circuit uh, on the uh, intake on the air. Right. And uh, there was one short right there and that goes to the same spot right by where the uh, all the wires from the injectors yeah, go Yeah, I think, and Nick, the clock's going to take me. I'm sorry, babe, but I think you've got a harness issue here and I want you to make sure of it before you go putting PCMs in it. Try a loaded circuit test. See where that goes. I'm running the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Yeah. 